Thanks for that very, very kind introduction. It's Friday night. I know it's a little bit late for you guys. I will go through the weekend and have ample uh, opportunity to talk about myself, my family, all that interesting, great stuff you're just dying to know. But for tonight, let's go right into the Word of God, the Scriptures, John chapter 12. I was very, very stirred. My blood sugar energy level was dipping because it was like an eight, ten hour trip. Yes, Andrea got me uh, spicy pork. So I wolfed it in the hotel room about 6.30. I made the mistake of laying down on my bed sideways. <laughs> I almost fell asleep. So I was praying, sitting up here, and then the music and the worship started. I didn't know three or four of those songs. How rich and how beautiful. My energy is spiked, just sensing God's spirit and His presence in this room. So... Thank you for that. Okay, John chapter 12, the first eight verses. Okay, we're starting off to look at or aim for the extravagant goal of prayer. John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that you may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, this is God's word for us tonight, John 12. If this is a familiar passage to you, uh, sorry, but I return to it at least a hundred times, and I'm impacted, and I learn, I think, something new. Uh, if this is brand new to you, <laughs> I don't think I could do too, uh, too much wrong, because this is one of the most extravagant, moving demonstrations of what it means to love Jesus Christ, which is the goal of all that we do. We'll give glory to God by loving Jesus Christ the Son by the movement and the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, in college, I was first captivated by the story, Matthew, Mary of Bethany, because her love for Jesus was so extravagant. I, if you have a top ten list, I have a top three list, she's right up in the top three. Okay, Battling really hard for second or third, I can't choose. Of those who most love Jesus, in my opinion. I know there's so many things in life... <clears throat> Where the world, and in fact even the church tells you, you should be moderate about that. Uh, With Christian liberty, you should be careful with that. If you're rich, wealthy, praise God, but you should not be so conspicuous and indulgent with that. Like that's not cool. So many things you're supposed to be limited and cautious about. I get the total free runway to talk about something tonight 
Well, according to Jesus, no cautions. There should be no limitations. You don't have to practice moderation here. I know the world says that if you're religiously excessive or fanatical or extravagant, you must be narrow-minded, unintelligent, bigoted, and maybe a, maybe a terrorist in the making. There's only one object. There's only one thing, one person, one goal that you and I can full throttle love and you should go as hard as you can, as far as you can, as deep as you can because it'll never lead to self-destruction or division or hate. It'll only set you free to love. And that is only Christ Jesus. He's the only one you can love head over heels, lose all controls in that sense. Because the greatest commandment that Jesus gave was love the Lord your God with, what, moderate, like semi, middle class, reserved, controlled. Now, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So this passage is precious to me because I so often don't do that. I'm so wayward and cold at times. But we want to soak in four features of the extravagant love of Mary Bethany for Jesus Christ tonight. And that is the goal. That's the goal. It's an unrealistic goal. But that's why this retreat is in entitled let us pray something happens by grace something happens supernaturally that you and I cannot achieve four features of extravagant love let me tell you why these four features of her love is special because Jesus said it's special in other gospels of the same story Jesus says as long as the gospel is preached we're going to remember this one tonight we are he said this one's unforgettable this one moved the heart of Christ like no other. Okay, four features. Number one, I'm going to try to go quick because I, I do know what time it is here. First, first you have to have a habit. Okay, first you got to have a habit. We have to set up the context briefly. If you go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, Mary of Bethany has a sister by the name of Martha, and they had a brother by the name of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from death by John chapter 12. Uh, but back here in John chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, let me just read this for us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. He loved this village. He loved this home. It was one of his favorites. And a woman named Martha, the sister, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. To be hospitable, you should be busy serving. You got to make sure that your guest is accommodated too. That's what you folks have already done with me. Martha is doing the right thing. What's her sister Mary Bethany doing? Before John chapter 12, what was she doing? She was not busy serving her guest. She was sitting and listening and learning from her guest. 
Martha gets a bad rep. It's exaggerated. All you anxious, busy, distracted folks, you serve Jesus too much. How awful of you. Oh, I wish for lots of Marthas at our church, please. (laughs) I'll take a Martha any day than most other people. Any of the male disciples, I'll take Martha. (laughs) But here's what Jesus is saying. She singularly picked out and focused. She had a habit. Do you know why she had a habit of sitting and listening and learning from Jesus? She was in love. She was in love. She was just attracted to Jesus. She couldn't wait to sit and soak in, listen and learn. I've been married 16 years, going on the 17th year. If I knew this was a palatial resort, my wife should have come. But she works full time. I will send her pictures and video tomorrow. She will be jealous, irritated, and angry. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there you go again, suffering for Jesus. What a (laughs) tough job you have. I didn't say yes to your pastor in the church thinking it was going to be this. I thought it was, you know, retreat, like retreat. (laughs) But my wife, Sunny, from what I remember, at least the first five or six years, would be annoyed that I was obsessive and ambitious and kind of consumed with Achieving my identity and status and worth in pastoral ministry. Your pastor doesn't do that, I'm sure. I did that like crazy. I still do. So when I come home, I don't have time, energy. I don't want to listen to her, talk to her. Because my pastoral life is all about that. When I come home, I just want to watch Sports Center and drink something. And just close my eyes and vegetate. Well, first five or six years, Sunny, her usual complaint, newly married, with two young kids, was, Harold, all I want is your undivided time and attention. But you seem always far away and distracted. Early in my marriage, Sunny kept teaching me. She showed me. She really loves me. She didn't want me to be so busy serving her or doing things outside of the house for the family and providing some kind of income as a pastor. She was truly, truly in love. All she wanted to do was just be with me. All she wanted was some undivided time and attention. Now she doesn't want any of my time or attention. (laughs) The tables have turned. C.S. Lewis once observed, you can tell the difference between great friends He mentioned, Pastor Owen, that we are BFFs. That's so kind of him to say that, because that's one-way street. Owen thinks I'm his BFF, but... (laughs) I was a little embarrassed he introduced me like that, but... (laughs) Friends are looking in the same direction. Same passion, same goal. Oh, you like UFC? I like UFC. Yeah, let's be friends. You like that book? I like that book. Let's be friends. C.S. Lewis, though, the great difference between friends and lovers is... Friends are looking at the same direction. Lovers are busy looking at one another. And what you have here with Mary and Bethany with Jesus is that when he came over to her house, something superseded her manners. 
Hey, can I just speak to maybe our context here, Lord? Something was so singularly superior and more attractive than social customs and shame. Do you know that Mary Bethany was just very not self-conscious? How was she not self-conscious? She is bothering her sister by not serving the guest. I'll tell you how. Solus Christus. Christ alone. And when you're in love with someone, the other things get very blurry and peripheral. So here's what she did in Luke 10. This is before John 12. Okay, see, this is a habit. It's a habit. She irritated her sister by not helping. She directly approached the male guest, which was a social taboo. She stooped down to do the work beneath a slave by the time of John 12. For her to pour out that expensive ointment, whatever that was, we'll get to it. But then to get on her knees and wipe his feet with her hair, some would say it was a sign of a lady of the night, a scandalous lady, could care less what people thought. And fourth, as she did let down her hair, this was a sure sign that she lost all dignity and self-respect. It's a habit. It's a habit. Oh, that's the first feature of extravagant love for Jesus is instead of being so calculating of what other people may think or feel about you, Mary Bethany was conscious and fixated. She had a habit. That's her past calculations and social consciousness. I was just sharing last Sunday at our church. I don't know if you're into New Year's resolutions or not. I'm not against them. But I think what might change you more than New Year's resolutions is just being regular at something. Rhythms and repetitions might affect you more than trying to be radical. Regular at something. Just regular at something. A habit, a habit. There's no shortcut to that. And you never really become good at something unless you have a repetitious, regular, gradual, steady habit. Like, you do certain things every day. You don't even have to think about it. It's just become a part of your lifestyle. And if there's anybody in the room who longs to have an increase of genuine love and wants to love Jesus extravagantly, um, you have to have a habit, a regularity to it. Lovers are busy looking at the person. Here's a second feature. That kind of habit leads to an attitude. You're going to have major attitude. It's going to develop an attitude. And here's the attitude. An attitude of someone in love will never ask how little they can get away with. An attitude of someone in love will always ask, what's the most or the maximum I can give? Never the minimum. 
you know that you have fallen out of love and things aren't too fresh and things aren't really real when maximums, extravagance, going over the top, doing your absolute excellent best is no longer your habit. But in this case, it was for Mary Bethany. Some commentators say that this costly ointment, once she spills it, once she pours it out, it's not like you can recover that. Some people calculate it was worth a year's worth of wages. A year. A a year's worth of wages. How many of you ever bought a gift for anybody that was a year's worth of wages? I'm talking you graduated just from college. It was your first job. And you're making $20,000 a year. And you're complaining about how poor you are. But did you ever buy anyone a gift for $20,000? A lot of you, maybe some of you in this room, you're making well past that. Six figures, multiple six, maybe seven figures in a year. The attitude of Mary Bethany was not, what's the bare minimum I can give, but what is the maximum I can offer? Because without an attitude, you and anybody else can never tell what you really love. But what you really love always shows. Because you do have an attitude like this about something else. Like you're in bed with something else. You're in love with something else. You're making love with someone else. Do you know how much sexuality is intricately linked with spirituality? Did you know that there is this profound connection there? And that the attraction and the addiction you have physically speaking toward sex or beauty or romance or love, do you know that that is just scratching the surface of what your soul was designed to want and to be satisfied by? Not in a human creature, but in your creator. G.K. Chesterton once said that every man who rings the bell at a brothel is actually looking for God. And as much as physically you long for this other person, could it be that the prophets and Mary Bethany is showing us here, do you know that your soul, your soul is just designed to fall head over heels, addictive and obsessive and compulsive, in love with something? It's just a matter of what is it? And in this case for Mary Bethany, you could tell what it was. Because all her money, her money, yes, this is her money, her possessions, was poured out for the Lord, Christ Jesus. One of the distinguishing marks between real lovers of Jesus and fakers Genuine lovers of Jesus and false, pretentious, just fakers. That you love Jesus with your lips is how you handle money. Mary is sacrificial, even exorbitant. Judas is outraged by this expense. Mary is giving, lavishing, surrendering. Judas is already by this point in John 12, plotting, conspiring, selfish, cheating, stealing, and betraying. 
he is taking money out of the offering bag for himself. He was the treasurer. Judas was a follower of Jesus Christ because he thought it would pay off with massive self-interest. But when this apparently was not the case, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins. Mary of Bethany followed Jesus, not because it would pay off. Mary of Bethany followed and loved Jesus because she just couldn't figure out how much she could pay him. Not a burden, not an obligation, but an offering of love. Some commentators say it was a year's worth of wages. Other commentators say that that perfume was actually her dowry, her dowry. So in effect, not only was it so expensive, monetarily speaking, Mary of Bethany was risking and spilling that which could help her get married and have a future family. What kind of attitude is that? Where do you get that kind of attitude? Mary Bethany sat and soaked in, listened and learned. She was in love with the person of Jesus Christ. And every word he said, she took it in. A habit. You know, in that habit, I didn't explicitly say, oh, she was praying. You're going to hear about it tomorrow morning. Prayer in my opinion, scripture speaking, is never just naked in a vacuum by itself. And then I would add my own experience to it because I'm such a poor, poor student in prayer. I've learned some methods which I'll share practically that has helped me grow and develop gradually in prayer life. But prayer by itself where you are communing with, seeking to be in contact with, talking and responding. You see, it's responsive. Prayer requires God to do something first, usually. And that was Mary's habit. But because of this habit, she developed major attitude. And that was an attitude of love. Here's a third feature. Habit, attitude, third. And I would suggest this is the most important feature. Her love was full of insight. Insight. There's no other way you're going to get good at golf except a habit. There's no other way you are really going to enjoy. Your heart is going to be attracted to. And love in your life will be changed by Jesus Christ outside of a habit. And if you have the regularity, the rhythm, the routine, not just a once in a while resolution, not just a retreat, Not something just dramatic or radical. But you have a habit, it'll develop an attitude. And those two features, I think the foundation of the habit and the attitude is this third. It's all driven by insight. Here's a question. If your brother died, so I'm only speaking to brothers and sisters who actually like their brother. You happen to like your brother, you have a good brother. If your brother died and a man came over to your house in the backyard and one day say, I am the resurrection of the life. Lazarus can't come out. And he came out. He's like living again. 
And that same man comes to your house for dinner. How would you thank him? How would you thank him? Buy expensive clothes. Do spell out a year's worth of wages on a ring. Sing a song. Dance. Choreograph a movie. Write a card. Write a poem. How did Mary of Bethany choose to demonstrate the depths of her wonder and love and gratitude to the man she had a habit of listening to and learning from and upon the occasion of that same man raising her own brother from death. So here's the question. Of all the things she could have done, why did she do this one to this man at that time? And Jesus tells us why she did it. I'm telling you, my friends, I think this is why Jesus was so moved. And he says, we're not going to forget this one. He says, she poured out this perfume on my feet. Not because she's just zealous. Not because she just wants to be extravagant for extravagant sake. Not because she's sentimental. Not because she likes being dramatic. Jesus says in our passage that he notices and that his heart is deeply, deeply stirred by the fact that Mary had learned and observed something about what Jesus was going to do. And that's why she did what she did. Jesus said, leave her alone. She's giving me an anointing for my burial. Ah, okay. Do you know how many times Jesus said he was going to have to be betrayed and be crucified, go to a cross and die? Are there records of him teaching that repeatedly and very clearly before John 12? Are there records of that in all the other Gospels? Oh, you bet. It's just littered with it. No male disciple as far as I can see, up to this point, everybody got it. But she did. It was a funeral ceremony. It was one of those funeral rites. It wasn't just a, a, a demonstration of revelry or just adoration. Not even just worship. Jesus said, she knows something about me. She has insight. And if you're about to go through one of the most treacherous, body-shaking, traumatic, nerve-wracking experiences of your life, maybe one of the most loneliest experiences, like a separation or divorce, and we have several people who've gone through that. The trauma and the loneliness and the suffering of being separated from our divorce. Abandoned or you abandoned. There is no greater comfort 
than to meet someone else who's gone through the same thing and they walk by your side, take your hand, and they walk through that valley with you. Could it be that Jesus, knowing that in a very short period of time, everything he said is going to come true, he would be betrayed by all, put on public trial, falsely accused, tortured, beaten, humiliated, and the one person who already believed and got it that he would go through that is her right here in John 12. And that's why she poured the perfume upon his feet for his burial. My friends, I don't think it's going to do you much if you just want to be radical because for radical's sake. You want to be emotional, extravagant because you're an emotional person. The church today is usually not in danger of too much knowledge and insight, but way too little. And this third feature is what I believe not only creates the extravagance, but it's what sustains and matures and perfects it. Mary of Bethany gave an extravagant sacrifice because she had insight into the extravagant sacrifice of those feet, those hands, that hair, that head, that body, that person who raised Lazarus from death. She knew, and she had heard somewhere in the past, Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe me, you will never die. She got it, that that man came to her house, not only to raise Lazarus from death, but her and Martha too. And the only way he would raise people from the grave is for Jesus to trade places and go into one of his own. Insight. Insight. I love it that I could sense that here at NCF right off the bat. The way your pastor leads worship, the way your songs are crafted, the way it's done. This will go so much farther and just a moment of inspiration. Let me press just a little bit further on insight. Mary of Bethany not only already believed that Jesus would die for her, that those feet would be pierced upon a cross, the same feet that she is wiping and pouring the perfume upon. Mary of Bethany also knew that he was going to rise from death. You see, she saw Lazarus rise from death. Here's my contention. How I think Mary Bethany already knew this. Way ahead of everybody else. And why did she know that? Why did she have so much insight? Because she just thought really hard? She was just smarter than other people? She had a habit. There were three Marys in the Gospel of John at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Did you know that? Mary's a very common name. This was in Korea. There'd be three Kims. (laughs) Three Marys. Mother Mary... Mary Magdalene and Mary of Clopa. Where is Mary of Bethany? Where is Mary of Bethany when Jesus was crucified and he suffered? She slept in? She forgot? She didn't care. Mary Bethany, I suggest, had so much insight 
She provided an anointing for his burial. But she wasn't at the foot of the cross. Because like Abraham, when he sacrificed Isaac by faith, he knew that the angel would come back and resurrect him from death. And that is tremendous. When you get insight. Do you know why our church is called Christ Central? Do you know why there's a buzz and a trendiness these days about being gospel-centric? Let me give you two chapters of my Christian life. It's real simple. The first chapter where I got saved, I got tired of hearing a church herald, why don't you give God more of your heart? Herald, why don't you give God more of your money? Harold, why don't you give God more of your devotion and prayers and discipline? Harold, what's wrong with you? You should do more for him. That's not all that bad. But that's much of what I heard. And if you're hearing tonight, habit, attitude, insight, and all this just falls on you as just more good advice, more obligations, more duties, more laws... Take religious advice. You should do it. And then you'll be rewarded. If that's all you're hearing, you really don't understand what Mary, Mary understood. Because I assure you, what was operating in Mary's heart and mind was not, she felt obligated and burdened to give God more of her heart, more of her body, more of her life, more of her soul, more of her hair, more of her riches. No, 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 no. It was absolutely the reverse. When there's a rush of gospel insight, here's the second chapter of my Christian life. It's like a reconversion, born again, again. You're no longer just here, why don't you give him more? Why don't you do more? Why aren't you more like this? Gospel insight comes and says, don't you see Jesus gave you more? Don't you see Jesus gave you his heart? Don't you see... How Jesus gave up his all, all for you. And when that comes first, when that has more force, when there is insight before your inspiration and all your applications, lives change. Your life can change. The insight that Mary of Bethany had into what Jesus Christ was going to do for her is why she can give such extravagance the maximum, not the minimum. Here's the fourth feature. And we're done. And we're done. Judas Iscariot into this otherwise idyllic scene interrupts with an exclamation, what a waste! What a waste. Fourth feature, you're always going to face some kind of opposition. Opposition or conflict. Judas, in much of this world, objects that spending so much extravagantly for singularly the sake of Christ is a wasted, wasted life. Truth be told, yeah, you are wasting it. You can't get it back. I'm not going to defend that. 
Apostle Paul never said, my life is being poured out like a drink offering, but that's going to come right back to me. No. The point is, we're all wasting it. It's all going away. You can't have tomorrow, yesterday back. You can't have just these last five seconds back. All of it is being spent somehow, being poured out for something, some pursuit, someone. And what Apostle Paul says, my life being poured out as a drink offering, but there when I see and meet Jesus Christ once again, there's a crown of righteousness that will be laid up for me. In the midst of the opposition, Christ Jesus, who can actually capture your heart, assures you of riches and gains that far surpass any suffering or loss. None of it can be compared with the worth of what we gain and have in Christ Jesus. There's a missions conference called Urbana. I was there, I forgot what year it was. This has got to be 20-something years ago. And a heroine in my book uh, by the name of Helen Rosevere stood up. And her story was that as she grew up, she always asked herself, of everything she did, is it worth it? Is it worth it? As a young British female student, she asked this of her leisure, her books, activities, even friendships. And of course, as you would imagine, as she did this, she excelled in all of her studies. And she completed her medical education in the early 1900s, extremely rare for a woman, And during medical school, she was converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she resolved to go on a missions, medical missions life and journey to Nebel Bongo. Nebel Bongo. That's northeast Congo today. And there she poured out her life for 11 years, medically and spiritually. She kept a journal even of her findings for the benefit of the community that she served. After 11 years of missionary medical outpouring... The Simba uprising arose, and the same men that she had so cared for took her, stripped her, chained her to a tree, raped her repeatedly, and burned her journals before her eyes. And Helen Rosevier shared that while she was chained to a tree, after that kind of trauma and suffering, she asked bitterly, Is it worth it? Is this worth it? And somehow miraculously, the Spirit of God fell upon Helen Rosevere. And at that moment, while she was venting, is it worth it? Is it worth it? She felt a deep conviction of not the sins and the crimes of these men, but the sins of her own heart, in which she began to confess this. All my life, I've asked myself the wrong question. The question is not, is it worth it? But is Jesus worthy? The question for lovers of Jesus Christ is not, why do you give him more? What's wrong with you? Rush of Gospel Insight asks you a different question. Why did Jesus give so much more? Why did he give up his all for you? 
And the question is, but is he worthy? And Helen Rosevere said that she repented, was transformed on the spot, and she started to confess this new prayer. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of losing my medical career, my ministry, my virginity, my psychology, all of my life. If you stop asking, is it worth it? And the gospel changes that question too. Is Jesus worthy? Helen Rosevere, by the way, um, went back to the same country and ministered to those same men. After many, many years, of course, of counseling and healing and human beings, you got that's utterly traumatic. She went back. She went back. Mary Bethany here in John 12 filled the house with a beautiful fragrance, it said. It was so sweet. It was so life-giving. And Jesus said, until he returns, it's unforgettable. And did you know, my friends, Mary Bethany did this before Jesus showed the fullness of his love at the cross? Do you know that Mary Bethany did what this extravagant outpouring, which is the goal of prayer, do you know that she was able to do this because of insight and attitude and habit? She did it before Jesus gave his all? How much more? How much more has Jesus given for you? How much more has Jesus proven himself to you? How much more has Jesus shown you? How much more has Jesus been faithful and exceedingly gracious and patient and kind with you into 2019? There are some of you in this room you are headlong in temptation and addiction and sin and you don't know how gracious and patient God has been with you? Some of you in this room don't know Jesus in reality. This is routine, not real. It's a ritual, not love. It's fake, not genuine. It's Judas, not Mary. It's a goat, not sheep. It's a tear, it's not wheat. It's not a true son or daughter, it's a pretender. It's a churchgoer, not a Christ follower. It's someone who wants self-interest from Jesus, that it'll pay off. Not someone who says, I'll go and die with you, Jesus, because only after crucifixion, there's a whole new, forever, never-ending abundant life. A new life that Jesus brings. This is the goal. This is the goal. To so fall in love with Jesus extravagantly and live a life that demonstrates it for all the world to see. A beautiful, sweet aroma.